Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, True Rojan fans. Welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Monday. Today we're talking, of course, about USC's big 42-24 win over previously number three ranked Utah. We're going to have Coach Harvey Hyde come in. A lot of you guys have wrote in, have questions for the coach, so we're going to get to him in a minute. You can follow him on Twitter, at Coach Harvey Hyde. He tweets out during the games, and of course he wants to answer all of your questions here on the Peristyle Podcast. So if you have any questions or comments, please email us, podcast at uscfootball.com. Or you can leave us a voicemail at 641-715-3900, extension 816-646, or go to our website, peristylepodcast.com. Click on the left side of the page. You can leave a voicemail right there. Of course, you can subscribe on iTunes. We have our own website there, itunes.com slash Podcast. Lots of ways to get a hold of us. I wanted to give a quick note on all the questions. We've had some, I guess, uh, choice words, complaints, you could say, on uscfootball.com about some of the questions just being too long. We are going, you know, we're getting so many now. It's hard for me to go through them. If your voicemails are over a minute, we're not going to put it on. So make sure you keep it under a minute. If you send me full page questions, multiple paragraphs, most likely not going to read them. So please pare them down. Be very specific on your question and specific who you want to answer because Coach Harvey Hyde and Dan Weber are not on the show at the same time. So you can't say to both people because they can't answer them both at the same time. So without that, so please keep the questions tight. We're getting so many. We love it. We love all the questions you guys are sending in. We want to get to all of them. But if they're too long, we just can't do that. So without further ado, wanted to bring in the coach. And I know, Coach, you you kind of agree with me on this. Sometimes the questions get so long, you kind of forget what the original question was. But thanks, Coach, for coming on. And how you doing? Ryan, I'm doing great. And uh, I don't mean to uh, say that's the truth, but sometimes I... You get into these questions, and I say, Ryan, what was what did he say at the beginning of the question? But yeah, you know, we try to answer them the best we can, and I want to, and you, Ryan, and I do both want to try to get to everybody's questions because you you take the time to uh, call in or email us or whatever, and we owe that to you. So, Ryan, let's get started. Yeah, let's get started. Well, uh, I'll start out with some um, email questions first, and want to thank our sponsor though. Before I forget, Coach Southern California tickets sctickets.com. Give them a call at 1-800-888-7287. USC football looking a little bit better right now after beating Utah. So if you want to go to one of the upcoming home games, give them a call or go to sctickets.com and they'll help you out. There'll be more information on sctickets.com at the end of the show as well. So let's go to uh, Patrick in Chicago to start us off. Uh, what did the USC defense do differently to confuse and stop Utah? Our Trojan defense seemed to be using different uh, defensive schemes or you know were they using different defensive schemes or were they just reacting instead of overthinking thanks for all the hard work and amazing usc content for the global trojan family patrick in chicago patrick in chicago thank you very much for checking in with us here on this beautiful monday in california hope you're having a beautiful monday there in chicago uh yes uh the usc trojan defense was uh, aggressive they played hard they did some things differently, which we'll talk about here. First of all, as uh, I wanted to mention, and I mentioned this uh, on the pre pregame show, I said if I'm Clay Helton and you're going against a physical football team, then 
one way to show your defense you believe in them is to say, if we win the toss, we're going to defer, we're going to put you on the field, and you go out there and kick some butt. Because we're not going to be intimidated in our house by anybody, how physical they are. And that's something they spoke about even on the bus, team bus, on the way to the Coliseum to play that football game. When they walked by the Trojan Walk, they walked faster. I didn't see as many kids hugging and kissing babies and their parents and girlfriends. It seems as though they were on a mission. Clay Helton let him in and uh, let him in. He's always the first one in his beautiful blue suit, and he wasn't stopping or slowing down. They had they had their hard hats on and they knew what was their job and what they could do. So uh, that's where it all started, and they did defer and they did kick off and they did, and they did show their defense that they believed in them. And I thought their defense, as you we all saw the same game, uh, played an outstanding game. What they did basically is got. Uh, Travis Wilson out of their out of his rhythm, and they turned uh, Devontae Booker, Booker and said inst- instead of being a great runner, he became a receiver because they shut down the run. One thing that surprised me, they did not go to their option game where they faked the Booker and Travis Wilson carries the ball to the outside, which USC has always had trouble stopping, but they never really tested it. They ran it one time, and he got 16 yards and never came back with it another time during the entire game. So what they did differently is they got push off the ends. If you watch the game, they put uh, Felix and uh, the other defensive uh, end over there, who was Greg Townsend, outside. And when they came across, they came across with a lot of authority. They came across hard, and they forced Travis Wilson to step back up into the pocket. He doesn't like to be pressured. When you rile Travis Wilson, his history has been to sort of not have a great game. So they did that. And then they also brought uh, Suva Craven, uh, another one off that side. And then the interception, the first interception that Cameron Smith got, not only did they bring Sua Craven, they also brought Chris Hawkins. And uh, Chris Hawkins got in his face so fast that he just threw that ball to get rid of that ball. And that's when Cameron uh, jumped in front of it, and uh, he has great instincts on the football and ran down, I think it was 54 yards or whatever it might be. They caught him on about the two- or three-yard line. So they went after him more. I think they covered them more, better, but Kenneth Scott was really basically their only real receiver. All the routes were underneath, if you notice. They never went deep much at all. They were all controlled passing routes, uh, and he was off on his targets. Yeah, he wasn't throwing well. So getting him out of his rhythm, I think, was the number one thing they did. And pinching down, playing tough defense, playing 100% on every play, except for one, except for one. And you guys can figure that out, too, at the end of the game when they broke down and Covey made that long uh, pass play and scored a touchdown. Instead of what they got to play hard every down. But the rest of the game, I think they had them really uh, – we were beating them at their own game. Uh, when I say we, USC. That's I can't go on too much farther because we got a lot of questions. Yeah, yeah, no, all that makes sense, Coach. Um, it looked different. I mean, it just looked like a different effort from this USC team. I don't know. I mean, it, it Clay Helton had another week under his belt, um, and you know, and but like you said, they they were more on a mission. I was a little, you know, concerned maybe if you factored in it was going to be Parents Weekend and all that kind of stuff. But it's funny that your your observation with them going through the Trojan Walk. They didn't really make it about parents' weekend and stuff. They kept it all business. They did. And I can see right then that, uh, hey, 
there was a different uh there was a, a step and a half there wasn't any slowing down there wasn't any i'll see you uh, it was like i'll see you after the game and i i like that serious attitude and and i think that right now what they have done playing at notre dame under clay Hilton and playing an outstanding game there but losing and now playing uh utah both ranked football teams i consider it now and i'm going to say this there isn't an opening at the Everybody's talking about who's going to be the next head coach at USC. I say there isn't an opening at USC until there's an opening at USC. So let's all support Clay Helton and see what happens. That leads us into our question from Jim in Canyon Country. First, isn't it time to celebrate a little? Even Kirk Herbstreet has it right. The quote-unquote takeaway from USC's defeat of Utah is simply Clay Helton. Football is a coach's medium, and we see from Florida to Michigan – to USC, how a strong coach can quickly revitalize and begin the renewal of a program. So here's the Helton. And he says, I have a technical question for Coach Hyde. USC seems still committed to a 3-4 alignment. None of the teams I saw employ this over the weekend, Cal against UCLA, for example, got any penetration or pass rush up the middle. If you were coaching in the Pac-12, which alignment would you favor and why? Really enjoy Coach Hyde's expertise and the stats from Ryan and Shotgun. Fight on, Jim from Canyon country. Well, you know, uh, I like the four, three defense, but what do you, what do you hear me say all the time? You got to run a, a, an offense. You got to run a defense that fits the players you have. And currently right now, the defensive front from USC defensive linemen are thin. So it's very difficult to run a four man front. It really is. Face it. You've got a good bunch of linebackers, a lot of linebackers that are young, but you've got a lot that aren't playing too. So you've got to use a 3-4 scheme in order to get your best players on the field. And I think that's what you, if you're a good coach, you've got to do what your personnel gives you. Now, I don't know if that's what the thinking is on the defensive side of the football, but that's what my thinking is as far as looking at USC's personnel. I think you can still uh, run a lot of looks that look like a four-man front and play a four-man front, front by using your linebackers as as rush guys and mixing it up and putting a lot of pressure on the quarterback, which they did on Saturday. But, you know, what they did is help. What they did is help their front guys by doing the pressure they gave them. They, they were penetrating. They stopped the play before it got started. They were tackling better. If you notice, a lot of the tackles were on the line of scrimmage. The linebackers were scraping, and they were in the hole. Now, they missed a couple, too, when they ran off tackle. I saw definitely a linebacker scraping into the hole where he should be head up, knock Booker on his butt, but he wasn't in the football position to do that. So occasionally you break down, but the game plan was good. I think they penetrated. They put a rush on him. They covered pretty good, and uh, they got a thorough effort. They got a thorough effort out of the defense. So uh, what they did made their defensive front look good. The defensive front penetrated. The defensive front played hard. And, and that's what you have to do. You created turnovers. By getting in his face, you created turnovers. And when you have turnovers, you win. You did it at Arizona State. You did it uh, at Utah. You got it. Uh, it happened to you against Washington. It happened to USC against Notre Dame. You can't play great football games when it's determined by penalties, where USC only had five penalties in the game, or turnovers. USC had zero turnovers and five penalties in the game. Now, there are areas, and I don't know if we have any questions on this, where the special teams need to be really corrected immediately. So go ahead, Ron. Okay. Yeah, I think we've got some special team stuff in a little bit. Uh, Earl and Palmdale, from Palmdale 
wrote in. He said, great win against Utah. I'm pleased with the impact Coach Helton has made on the team. Do you think he has a real opportunity to win the job? The reason I ask is because it would appear that the team is still running the no-huddle offense Sark implemented, an offense that clearly isn't optimized for the type of players that USC has. Is it realistic or even beneficial for Coach Helton to run a different system or offense that may suit the players better? If not, then it would seem that Coach Helton is being evaluated with the staff hired by Sark, that he clear that he can't change the offense implemented by Sark. It's something that he can't change. Uh, if that's the case, then how can a fair assessment be made if Coach Helton can really do the job? Uh, he's the interim coach right now, but Coach Sark's presence is still all over this USC team. Wanted to get your thoughts on that. Love the podcast and keep up the great work. Uh, Earl from Palmdale. Earl, uh, you're right. You can't change everything during the middle of the season, but you've worked all year round to run this type of offense or run this type of defense. But you can make changes in it that best fit your personnel the best you can without making a complete change. And I think he's done that a lot. I think he's done that as far as his game plan against Utah. I thought was absolutely fantastic the way they spread the field. They used their quick screens and bubble screens because they got away from the strength of the um, strength of Utah's defense. They put larger receivers in there, Hampton and the tight ends uh, to block out there on the screens where they really had some great blocking. And they didn't throw them down on the goal line. They threw them where there was a lot of running room and so on where the backs or the receivers could use their great ability. So I, I really think that they did a great job there. Now, when it was a big play, I don't know if you noticed this or not, where it meant fourth down or a touchdown or fourth down and not a touchdown and a momentum change, they huddle up. You notice down there in the fourth and one situation uh, when Vanuku scored uh, from the I formation reverse pivot and gave it to Vanuku, and he went in there 270 pounds over the top not to be denied. They huddled up. Cody looked at everybody and gave him a little bit of, I know what he told him. we got to have this, guys. we got to have this. There was communication there between the team and the situation of what they had to have and the importance of it. And they got it. And the fourth and one situation when uh, when Kessler quarterback sneak, they huddled up. They actually huddled up and they broke. And I'm sure he told them the same situation of what we're going to do. And they did it. And they scored a touchdown. So gradually they will come and make changes on big things like that. As far as the hurry up offense, they have sold the hurry up offense to what they will win by. And I think when they settled down on Saturday, if you notice early in the game, Cody made all the plays. Cody made all the plays. Without Cody dodging the rush people and everybody else, he made all the plays. He made all the completions. And they used crossing routes, which were tremendous across the field, back and forth. They still need to hit the middle of the field a little bit more, come across like it's a crossing route. Then curl up and use your big receivers in the slot positions where you get great blocking. And same with the receivers outside where you get great blocking when you do certain plays. So utilize your personnel to the best situation. I think Clay Helton will do that and he will start to get his team. As you mentioned, Sarkeesian is still there, but the philosophy of playing hard and the personality of your head football coach has changed. you got a hard hat guy now being your leader and talking to your team, and your team is responding to that, and I think that's your answer. No, I agree with you, Coach, and uh, it's not – it's not a fair situation for any interim head coach. You're basically dealt this, but it's an opportunity that he wouldn't have had otherwise. 
Clay Helton would not be considered for the USC head coaching job. Ed Orgeron would not have been considered for the USC head coaching job, but they got an interim shot. It's not a fair shot, but it's something. You have a ch- you have an opportunity to make something happen. So, uh, let, let me just let me just add to that, Ryan, since you brought that up. Should Clay Helton be considered for the head football coaching job? Ex- I I think ex- he should be. To go out and find someone else when you have someone that's auditioning already, when you have someone the kids love, they made that mistake once before. Okay, when uh, Orgeron went six and two. Yeah, here's a coach that the kids stood up and applauded. Here's a coach they're responding to. Here's a coach that at the end of the season can evaluate his staff and go out and make it better if he needs to. Here's a coach that knows the recruits that are going on. Here's a coach that has a relationship with the players, not only at USC, but the players that have played at USC. He can recognize former players. He can recognize alumni. Here's a coach that can go out and recruit back some of the players that have decommitted. So I would say if he continues to coach well, why wouldn't he be a candidate? Just tell me, why wouldn't he be a candidate for the head football coaching position? I want to know that. Yeah, no, and I mean, you're right. And there's, there's people on both sides of the fence. There's some people that are like, you have to go outside. You have to get someone new. He's got an opportunity here, though, coach. If he can make a run and win the Pac-12 South and they feel comfortable with him, I'm just not sure with the athletic director, Pat Hayden, be in the position of having a bad hire last time to just hire with, from within. Fair or not, it's just it seems like a really tough situation for for Clay Helton and Pat Hayden to be in. Well, you know, when you get two and a half million dollars a year, <laughs> you're supposed to have a little pressure. Uh, and I'm not trying to be a smartass when I say that. I'm just trying to say, you know, you got to make tough decisions, and sometimes a decision a decision is always not a popular decision. Yeah. But if you know a guy that's been there six years, and you've worked around a guy that's been there six years. And he's been a true Trojan and a gentleman and everything that's around what USC stands for. That's a pretty good long time for an interview, I would say. And I'm not, you know, I'm forgetting the best program, whatever it takes. But again, he will have the opportunity of surrounding himself with the same staff or brand new staff. Well, there could be some changes going on. So if I'm an assistant coach there, I'd be coaching my butt off for Clay Elton. All right, let's uh, move on. Let's do a voicemail question for you, Coach. Here you go. Hi, Ryan. This is Al from Fresno. I went to the game this weekend. Enjoyed what I saw. It looks like someone took the page out of Stanford's handbook as far as milking the clock, sustaining drives, allowing our defense to stay on the sideline and get a breather so they can make big plays at the end. Um, Only uh, gripe I had at the end is that we allowed them to get that long run and get back into the game a little bit. it looks like our offensive line is more geared toward run blocking. Uh, I was wondering if the coach agrees that uh, that is our uh, way of uh, finishing out the rest of the season as far as running the ball and uh, sustaining drives to be successful rather than trying to pass the ball and scoring quickly. Uh, thanks for your time. Right on. Well, that's where your toughness comes from. And I tweeted out at the end of the third quarter, and Ryan, you follow me. I tweeted out and I said, it's up to the offense now. The offense has to take ball control and keep Utah off the field. They're not used to catching up. Their their whole game plan is not that. If we get ball control on the offensive side of the football, then USC will win this football game. And they did do that. And I, as you talk about some of the changes in the offensive line, let's, let's, let's discuss that for a moment as far as run blocking is concerned. They moved Zach Banner, the left tackle. 
I think Zach Banu played his best football game, the left tackle. He may be more suited for the left side than he is the right side. So I think he went over there. He played a good game. I saw him run. I saw him out in front of a screen. I saw him settle down and get some good pass blocking in. He went against their best rusher. So I think he did, I think he did a good job. Now, of course, uh, losing Lobodon isn't going to help anybody. He's played every position on the offensive line. But the way Khalil Rogers came into the game, and I watch the offensive line very close. I try to watch every position very close, but you can't do that on every play. But he came in as if he's been playing the entire year. I would say his snaps to the quarterback were better than any other person's snaps to the quarterback. Not that the others haven't done it well, but not as consistent as what he did. There wasn't any fumbles on the snaps. And he came in in the first quarter. Remember, Lobanon got hurt in the first quarter. Now, he made some good blocks, and he's learning to play the position. He hasn't played a lot. I saw him look back a couple times to see what was going on, and you shouldn't be doing that. You should be looking down the field. I saw him looking to hit people on the second level, and I thought he did a good job. I think he'll do a good job at center. Not that the team doesn't miss those other two players, but a guy capable came in and I thought did a great job. And I think uh, Clay Helton uh, pointed that out as far as on his Sunday press conference on how proud they are of Cleo Rogers and what he did, number 62. In fact, if you don't know his number. Uh, also, I thought that the young freshman uh, offensive tackle, number 70, you can help me, Ryan, pronounce his name for me. Um, Chuma Adoga, you're talking about, the right tackle. Right, right tackle. Okay. I thought he did one heck of a job. Now, he settled down. He didn't have a good game starting the first series or two. He was lunging out on pass blocking rather than saying, hey, you got to come to me to get to the quarterback. I'm going to get in a good position. I'm going to gut down. you got to get through me, outside me, inside me to get to Cody Kessler. At first, he wasn't doing that. He wasn't taking the foot the steps that he should be and, and relaxing. As the game went on, he relaxed, and he was able to do a good job. The pass blocking got better as the game went on. So I thought the offensive line did a good job. I thought the run was good. I like the run from the eye formation better than I do the lateral runs, but they did have some success doing that. The second-level blocking was better, and the backs really give their effort to you. They really do run hard, and they do a great job. They give 100%. They're fighting for the extra yard, and I think that's what's really good. So uh, as far as the running game is concerned, I agree. You can't live on the pass all the time. You've got to be able to have your – Opponent, respect your running game. And I also thought the addition of Adoy Jackson to the offensive side of the football really did help them during this uh, offensive uh, game plan. Um, you mentioned Zach Banner there. We actually had a specific question about that voicemail. Let me uh, play that for you. Hi, Ryan. And again, thanks for this program. It keeps me going on the East Coast. Uh, this question is for Coach High. Uh, I noticed the uh, Zach Banner on the left side, and he looked pretty good to me. Uh, could it be that he should always have been on the left side? Perhaps he's left-handed or something? And if that's the case, if he's more coordinated on the left side, shouldn't the coach, the offensive line coach, have known this? Just a thought. Fight on. Well, oh, he... fight on. Very good <laughs> well, thank you very much. Thank you very much. Fight on to yourself. And, uh, yeah, let, let me put it this way. He started as a left tackle at USC. And uh, he was moved over to the right side. 
You know, so everyone knows that normally your best offensive lineman or your best tackle plays left tackle as far as pass blocking, too. Why? Because it's the blind side. Everybody knows this, I think. I'm sorry. It's elementary. The back side of the quarterback, that's where the rush comes that he really can't see. And uh, I thought Zach did a great job there. I just made the comments a moment ago. He's big. He's strong. Uh, he's intimidating when you when you look at him, and, and he's he's got a big body. And I think a big body and pass blocking really assists you a lot because there's a lot to run around or run through. So I think he'll get better playing that position. When I move him back, I'm not quite a shit I would. Sure, I would. I would uh, I would think he had a great game there. I thought that uh, the right tackle had a great game. Uh, I noticed that uh, uh, the number 77, the freshman uh, guard, what's his name, Davis, I thought played a heck of a game for coming in, a, a freshman kid. Came in, and I don't know why Mama. Do you know why Mama left the game towards the end of the game? Do you have any idea, Ryan? I'm not sure. He he came out. Yeah, that's. Uh, I'm not sure that. that but I mean, it might have just been part of the rotation. But yeah, I'm not exactly sure. I don't know if it was a rotation or not, but he got a lot of turns. He's about six six, two seventy, two eighty. Got a lot of terms now. Terms ter- turns, and I was watching him. He was learning, and he went away. But he held his own. He held his own. So. I was glad to see that development come along. I, I didn't know why Mama left the game. I know uh, he was playing all right, so I don't know what happened there, and let's don't get into that. But, yeah, as far as the left tackle's concerned, I'd leave Banner where he is. I thought he had his best game of the year, and I'd let Wheeler go back and work the right side and battle it out with the freshman tackle that played over there because I thought he had a pretty good job because he did a good job. You've got to have your best five players on the field and put him on – the side of the football where they can best execute to their ability. And uh, I would do that, but, of course, I'm not Bob Conley. I'm not coaching this offensive line. But what I was able to see in this game, that's probably what I'd do. Uh, we got a bunch of questions about uh, Ronald Jones. Um, it's, why is Ronald Jones not the featured running back after Trey Madden was injured? And, Ryan, I'm sorry for tweeting you during the entire game for more Ronald Jones. Um so I think that was from Chuck. Um, but he was, I, I, I didn't, he didn't leave a name on his email address. And we had, uh, Brian from Birmingham, who's a USC fan in SEC country too. He wanted to see more, more Ronald Jones as well. Um, and a lot of that, we, a lot of tweets were about that too. Where's, where's Ronald Jones? Well, Ronald Jones is an explosive back. And, uh, I think there's a lot of loyalty in the coaching staff to Justin Davis and Trey Madden. Now, Trey Madden didn't play at all. Justin uh, Davis is a uh, tough running back and gets the extra yard. Uh, but I've got to agree with you. Ronald Jones is something special. I mean, he is something special. He's electric. He's a guy that one play you, you make the tackle, and the next play you're chasing him. I think he's electric. I think he's getting better. I think he's got to uh, improve in his blocking a little bit. But yet, on pass blocking, I saw a lot of the experience backs. Uh, turning their turning sideways, not taking someone straight straight up square, and, and putting his face in his chest. Uh, I I I didn't see that. Guys have got to do that a couple of times, and all of a sudden they find out it really doesn't hurt. You just you know you step up in and you bust it, then you lunge back and say, "Come on again." You know, just stay on it. You just pass block him. But uh, he's got and he's a little smaller to do that, so it's difficult for him to do that. Now, during the game, I don't know how many of you noticed that Pinner and Vanuku were in the game at the same time. 
and that gave them more of a power type of running back, which really made it, I thought, really good. The first toss to the left for the touchdown with Justin Davis, you had both fullbacks in the game. I thought that was fantastic to see now that type of blocking power now on the field. Now, again, you saw them in an eye formation. Now, I didn't agree with the eye blast right in the middle of the line there when they, it was the third down they didn't make that touchdown. Because when you run a delayed play on the goal line, like an eye black back six, seven yards deep coming to the line of scrimmage, it allows the defensive linemen, such as the team as Utah, to get penetration, and it all stacks up there. You can't get over. So they came back with the quarterback sneak where they got great push and they got the touchdown. But, uh, yeah, he is an electric football player. He is going to be, and he is already a great football player, and whatever he needs as far as that type of hamburger he's talking about in Texas, if I'm a USC <laughs> booster, I'd open up one of those hamburger shops right on campus or right around the corner to make sure he doesn't go anywhere and make sure he gets all those hamburgers he needs. Because he admitted, I think, before the game or after the game or some interview I saw or listened to, that he still can't find a hamburger like the one he eats in Texas, right? Yeah, the Whataburgers is what he likes. <laughs> Whatever it is, somebody open a franchise, okay? Maybe we'll be able to recruit Texas better. Nice. Uh, yeah, a lot of questions about Ronald Jones. Uh, but also, I, you know, Justin Davis didn't have like the, you know, the huge touchdown run, but he played pretty well. We have a voicemail question about that. Hey, Ryan. Hey, coach. This is Jeff in the OC. Just want to give a shout out to a great job. Uh, the Trojans showed the national. Uh, seeing again that we are a team to be reckoned with. And, uh, I think, uh, just, just want to give some shout outs, especially to, uh, one player in particular I noticed that hasn't got a lot of praise lately is, uh, Justin Davis. I think he, uh, did a great job, uh, power running that ball, keeping the drives going. Uh, I know he didn't get any big breakaway TDs, uh, and, you know, all the focus is on, uh, uh, Ronald Johnson, the second, I guess we call him Rojo uh, 2.0. But I think Justin deserves uh, a lot of credit and is uh, helping out the running game immensely. Just want to get your thoughts there and uh, take care, guys, and thanks for all the great work you do. Have a great week and can't wait for that UCLA game. <laughs> Fight on. Thank you very much. Isn't it amazing, Ryan, how much uh, everybody's in a better mood? I mean, there, oh, there yeah. really is a better mood to talk today and do our podcast. But, yeah, you're exactly right. If you didn't have Ronald Jones on your football team, you'd be saying Justin Davis is having a great year, and he is. I agree with you 100%. I like Justin Davis. He had a great spring. I like him as a football player. He's a great kid. He's a tough kid. I don't know him personally, but, Ryan, you must know him personally. Hey, he's 100% on every play. He's not a back that looks to run out of bounds. I, I don't like backs that look to run out of bounds. I like backs who like to get the extra yard. You ever watch Juju when he runs? He's not trying to get out of bounds. He wants to stay in bounds and smack your butt. Uh, I like toughness, and he certainly has that toughness. Trey Madden has that toughness. Ron, Ron Jones uh, would like to have that toughness. He's not a big guy, but I tell you, he's the type of breakaway, speedy guy that you need to have in your offense to be able to get the big plays. So I think you have a great combination, not to mention Ware, which I hope he's he's doing okay. And Dominic Davis played a lot in the game. And James Tolan is still there too. So uh, there's there's a stable of running backs there. They're young. 
And uh, Trey Madden, I believe, is the only senior. Am I correct on that, Ryan? Yeah, he's a senior. He's a senior. So you have a great group of running backs coming back. You've got a lot of young uh, people on the team at USC coming back. And uh, and I hope they have another great recruiting year at USC. And and some of those young defensive linemen have got to really come along. Gray, uh, Green, uh, Jacobs, uh, all of these. Jeff, uh, Jefferson. Uh, Noah Jefferson, yeah. Yeah, they got to come. They've got to come. But I agree with not playing them a lot because you can't rotate a lot of players in big football games. You want to play your best players, but great players get a feel during the game. Cameron Smith had an instinct to pick off those passes and was in the right place at the right time. You, you get a feel playing the game. Antoine Woods played his best game, I would say. I'd say uh, Townsend played his best game, and there's no question – Simmons played his best game as far as putting pressure and penetrating, tipping that ball. And I'll tell you, that screen was set up. That screen was set up when he tipped that ball. So, and he dropped back in that coverage and, and did a great job. So everybody was alert doing their assignment on top of playing physical. And that's what you have to do. And we mentioned it earlier, no turnovers and very few penalties. Um. Here's an interesting voicemail question about fundamentals. Let me play this for you. Hey, good morning, Ryan. This is uh, Eric in Georgia. Um, my question is for uh, for your Coach Hyde. Um, first, I wanted to say congratulations to Coach Helton and uh, the team for a great win. My question is, why does it seem like we're lacking fundamentals, it's like situational fundamentals, from the punting game to short yardage? Um, and do you think that is not being taught right now over the past couple of years? And second, um, do you think we are worrying entirely too much on running out the clock instead of running our offense to win the game? Those last two drives inside Utah's 30 were pretty embarrassing. Um, until we get that killer attitude, we're going to have close games and give the other team hope. Your thoughts. Fight on. Uh, uh, what was the first part of it? I want to answer that. What was the first like, part of that question? It, it seemed like the team is lacking in fundamentals. All right, let's let's talk about that. I think when you use that term fundamentals, uh, you're not using the term as far as techniques. You're using the the term in smart football fundamentals of understanding down distance situations, when to run out of the end zone, when to fair catch, when not to fair catch. The first three field positions that US had, USC had was absolutely ridiculous, just ridiculous. And it's been happening the entire season on their kickoff return. The only real phase of the kicking game that I think has been really good so far, and I don't like to be negative, but you ask the question, is the kickoff coverage. They're number one in the Pac-12. They go down there. The ball's hardly ever in the end zone, yet they keep the returning team inside the 25 every single time. They go down there. And they put a smack on you. I love watching them. I don't have that worry anymore about, oh, they're going to get the ball on the 40-yard line. They got guys that like to be on the kickoff team. I love that. Now, all along, they've had trouble with the offensive part of the kickoff return. Uh, they've allowed uh, their return guys, and you know who they are. I don't want to point them out all the time, name-wise, to run out of the end zone eight yards deep, five yards deep. Son. I know you're a great athlete and you want to win, but it just doesn't make sense percentage-wise. We're going to get the ball on the 25-yard line anyway. So why take a chance or catch the ball on the one-yard line when it's rolling around, 
come, you, the only way you run a kickoff back is you hit the seam full speed. You don't come off and try to find a seam. The seam's there, it's not there. Because the blocking on a kickoff return doesn't last forever, okay? You hit it, and you're gone. But to get the ball in the three-yard line, the six-yard line, the five-yard line, unbelievable field position, just absolutely ridiculous. So whoever's working with the return guys, they got to sit down and say, hey, we got to get this stuff straightened away. We'd rather let the ball roll through the end zone. At least we get it on the 25-yard line. But the offense did move the ball. I think they had an 88-yard drive on one of them and scored a touchdown. But you can't rely on that against great football teams. You can't do that type of stuff on the on the kickoff return. The momentum and where you get the football is ridiculous. And then also on the punt team. I don't know what's going on with the punt team. But, golly, please block somebody. <laughs> it was pretty bad. Please, please, two games in a row. I mean, what is going on? It's the lookout block every time. It's, I mean, we saw it at Notre Dame. You'd think they'd work on that. And, I mean, they, and they block another one. I mean, what is going on? Spend some time on the punt team because that part of the kicking game is really, really important. And again, in the next, this last game, and again at Notre Dame, they ice Woods three times, and he hits the crossbar, and he misses a field goal in this game. Let's get the field goal and P18 together. They've got a lot of kickers. They got two punters. That another one that's redshirting. Uh, and I know Clay is going to work on this. Coach Helton, excuse me. Coach Helton is going to work on this because he sees what you and I see. And he, that's embarrassing to a football coach. If you're not a football coach, you're embar- you just say, what are they doing? But as a football coach, you say, you've embarrassed me, son. You've embarrassed our football team. Like you said, don't they coach fundamentals? And I know that's what the coach is thinking. Don't we coach these guys to tell them not to do that type of stuff? So I'm sure he'll work on that. And if Adore keeps running him out like that to make home runs, I'd pull him off of it. I'd say, you're not doing that anymore because I'd rather get the ball on the 25-yard line. Yeah, he might run back one once in a while, but the number of times that he hasn't run it back, the odds are you're not going to do it. Um, all right. Speaking of Adore Jackson, Melvin said, Cal's going to pass a lot, and Adore Jackson isn't the first-string defensive back right now. Do we have to stick with Kevon Seymour at corner? He seemed to disappear when a run came his way. And he couldn't tackle Covey. Well, let me let me be honest with you. You have one physical corner, one physical corner, and that's Marshall. Marshall's a very physical type of corner. He'll come up and he'll he'll he'd rather hit you than cover you. And you know he's been beat a couple of times, but he's there and he's learning. He's a young kid. He's going to be a phenom. Okay. Uh, you know he really doesn't have the body to be a corner. He's so muscly and big and strong. But that's where he is, and that's where he's playing, and that's what he's accepted, and that's where he's going to play. Uh, but Dory Jackson uh, hasn't shown me the corner position like I thought they were. And, again, I've got to look at the secondary, the way they teach their man coverage. I sometimes wonder. I wish I could talk with Hayward and find out just how they're playing their man as they open up and give them the inside of the field, and, and I'm not quite sure what they're doing. But Adoy's not a physical guy. And what you try to do when you don't have physical corners is have mismatches and run at them. Put a big receiver over there, Stanford's Hooper, and these type of guys that are 6'6", 6'5", 
he has to cover him, and they come out and block him. He can't even see the run or the runner and block these guys. So he's not a physical type of guy. Uh, but uh, I think uh, Seymour hasn't played a lot, so his timing's off again. But again, I, I got to say, McCray came in and did a great job when he needed to be there. He was in the picture when uh, Tell got hurt, and uh, so guys have got to step up. Uh, I think right now with Mitchell hurt, I think he contributes more to the offensive side of the team than he does to the defensive side of the team. Now against Cal, who throws the ball around a lot, and I saw Cal play last week against UCLA in the Rose Bowl. UCLA really dominated that football game. Now, can USC dominate Cal? I don't know. How good is Cal? Cal almost beat Utah and threw five interceptions in that game at Salt Lake City. So we got to look and do a lot of evaluating on the teams you're going to play and where you best utilize somebody. Coach Helton made a comment yesterday. You'll probably see him more on defense in the Cal game. And, of course, he knows where he not needs to play because I don't break down Cal. I just watch him. So what's next? Uh, we got a defensive question. Voicemail. Here you go. Hello, guys. How are you? This message is for Harvey. Hi. This is Don from the East Coast calling. Um, Harvey, hi. I just wanted to see if you kind of looked at and saw exactly uh, how the Trojans were able to play great defense finally. And uh, what I saw was that they were able to pretty much, instead of going from a 3-4, it seems like they were running a little bit of a 4-3, um, even though they kind of had a lot of their pretty much outside linebackers rushing in, using them more as ends. And I'm a little confused as to why they don't continue to do so. Hopefully after this game they will. Because if you notice in the SEC, pretty much, that's pretty much how they make their their business of pretty much winning games is basically on the defensive front. And when the Trojans were great, it was strictly based off of defense. When um, you know Cushion was there and Maluga, and that's when the Trojans were at their best. Because if you guys pay, if you guys see, we don't have no problems shooting on the ball. We have problems stopping people, and uh, that's just what I noticed. And I just wanted to see what your guys' perspective was on that. Um, awesome win. Let's keep it rolling. Fight on all day, every day from the East Coast. Thanks, guys. Bye. Don, thank you very much from the East Coast. Uh, you're exactly right. They got some pressure this past game from the outside. They did appear there like the way they rushed Felix. It it looked like a four-man front. Uh, He came across. I thought he had his best game as far as penetration and coming across and forcing Travis Wilson to hurry throws and step up in the pocket. Pocket, excuse me. And I thought that Townsend put pressure on, Sue Craven put pressure on, and when they did blitz with Chris Hawkins at one time, they got a touchdown out of it. you got to put pressure and you got to put great quarterbacks out of the rhythm. You can't have them just assume that's going to happen. If you remember, they tried to run a quarterback draw once, and heck, he took one step and tried to come forward, and they just collapsed on him and kicked his butt. So you have penetration to do those things, but when you're penetrating and coming hard, the offensive lineman can turn you one way or the other for a draw play. So, yes, I agree with you 100%. Should they continue playing that style of front? Yes, they should. They should continue putting pressure on people, coming across the line of scrimmage. They'll have to do it this week against Jared Goff and Cal. Hurry him up. UCLA did it with Hollis and their outside linebackers. They had him hurry all his throws the entire game, and uh, it threw off his timing, his rhythm, and his accuracy. Uh, All right, Coach. Let's see. We got a couple more, and we'll let you go. Um, Tarek wanted to know, 
Does this game does this game leave us with more questions than answers? Because it seems USC can blow out teams, but I still don't know if they can win a close game. Well, you know, yeah, uh, it's interesting. Uh, they played really good in the fourth quarter against Utah, and I've had a, a, a philosophy the entire year, the past three years, and if you listen to me on my regular shows. You've heard me do, uh, I wish there'd be a study done as far as a relationship to when you practice and when you play. And USC has been practicing, I think I'd mentioned it on this show, I don't know, I'm sorry if I repeat myself because I want to answer your question. But they practice, they get up at 5.30, they got, they're on the field at 8 o'clock, uh, they practice from 8 to 10, then they go in, do what they have to do and go to class. Well, when you play games at 4 o'clock, you play games at 7 o'clock, you play games at 8 o'clock, that's not when your body is in a normal routine. Most of us have a normal routine of when you eat, when you sleep, when you get up, when you get tired in the afternoon, when you go to sleep. Well, if you're getting up at 5.30 and you're practicing at 8, that's not the normal time that you play football games. So you have vigorous activities. So your body is sort of out of sync when you're playing, when you're not normally practicing at that time. And this past week, I asked for a study from a doctor to send me, a study on what relationships or has there been a study done on this. And on yesterday morning's show, we read this report, and this doctor said you are exactly correct. You should always try to exercise or perform at the same time as the event you're going to play in because your body becomes used to that. They went into all the details of the body and how it functions and all of this and that, and I don't have it in front of me or I'd tell you. But I feel that that's been a problem with USC since they started to go to the early morning practices. Now, maybe somebody out there who knows more about this stuff scientifically than I do knows what to say or call in and tell me. But I'm very interested in this. So, Ryan, you know how it is. You get up, you get up early, you go to practice and so on. The, by the time game time comes along in the afternoons, you may be a little tired or you're not used to playing or you're eating, you're eating post-game or pre-game meals and all this. There are times your body's not used to eating. And you're going to bed at 1 o'clock in the evening because you've got to have a social life. And you're getting up at 5.30. By the time the weekend comes, hell, you're exhausted. You're exhausted before you play the game. So you try to catch up in your sleep, you're in your room, you're sleeping, but you're tired, and that's not normally what you do before you exercise or have a game. So I think there's a direct correlation to that. Now, that wasn't the case this past Saturday, but it has been the case over the past three years at USC as far as in the fourth quarter, and that's the only thing I can say to that. And I've been looking at other teams that practice in the morning. I'm not going to say who they are. But I noticed another team that's lost two games in a row, one in overtime and one in the fourth quarter. They were up 28-14 fourth quarter, and it happened to them. So I don't know how many teams are practicing in the morning, but the majority of teams practice in the afternoon. It just goes back to this, and I'm sorry I'm going so on. So when we played night games, I practice at night at least once or twice a week. Why during that game? Because I wanted my players to get used to the lights in the stadium we were going to play in. Or if we were at home playing on the road and we had a night game, 
I wanted them to get used to seeing the balls in the light. It's something about just getting used to. Why do you practice on AstroTurf or turf when you're going to play? When you're going to play on turf, when you—that's why you have two types of fields. So if I'm going to play on real turf, I'm going to practice on real turf. So the shoes that we wear on real turf are the shoes we're going to wear on Saturday. Well, it's the same thing if you're going to play on artificial turf. Practice on artificial turf so you get your feel of your foot and you don't sleep, slip, uh, slip and all the above. So wouldn't that make sense that if you're practicing in the morning and you're pra- playing in late afternoon or afternoon, it's just the same type of thinking in, in a coach's mind, at least my coach's mind. Now, I'm not a scientist. I'm not a doctor, but I'm trying to put common sense to the thing we're talking about. Thank you for the question. All right, Coach. Well, we probably should wrap it up. We had a couple more, but I think uh, it's been pretty long. I'll try to move those to another podcast a different time. But um, thanks for getting all the questions that we could. Uh, A lot of great stuff there, Coach. Of course, more upbeat. We still got a ton of questions for a a win, which I was not expecting. Usually after a loss, we just get inundated. But after this win, too, we got inundated as well. So there's just a lot of interest in the program right now. There is a lot of interest. There should be always a lot of interest in the program, and we should have a lot of questions when you win or you're not successful. I don't like to use the word loss when you're not successful, but it's part of it. It's part of getting better. It's part of thinking how you can get better, what you didn't do good like we were talking about and what you need to improve on to be able to play great games and have a great showing so that you don't embarrass yourself and you don't play, as I use the term, stupid football so ryan again thank you very much thank you coach you can follow him on twitter at coach harvey hyde and thank you so much for tuning in to the peristyle podcast really appreciate you downloading and listening to our show uh we'll talk to you next time and here's a quick message from southern california tickets 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 sc tickets is your concert sports and theater ticket source we have the tickets you need to any event worldwide football tickets are now available Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287, 1-800-888-7287, that's 1-800-888-7287, or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.